one of you for being here today. I know some of you, I tell you what, the alarm goes off and you just drag yourself here. Some of you are here saying, just, just give me enough to get through the week. Just give me enough. It's, it's been a long week. I need a little bit in order to handle what is ahead of us. Can I, can I encourage you with this this morning? A little bit different perhaps than you would normally hear. Um, rather than just focus on yourself and your circumstances, what you need in order to get through, I would encourage you for these next few moments and as we have lifted up our voices in worship to focus entirely, entirely on the Lord. It's all about the Lord. I know that, that it says in the world, the world's, world's wisdom is you deserve a break today. It certainly sells better than you deserve eternal wrath today. I get that, okay? Packages a little bit better. The idea is what? Truth, truth. Our focus is on the Lord and what he has done for us. And may we keep that. God is far, far more concerned about our soul as we just sang about than he is about our circumstances. Doesn't mean he's unloving. Doesn't mean that he's uncaring. He's far more concerned about the condition of our soul and our circumstances. We need to pray. We need to commit this time that this is a unique time. This will never happen again, okay? We will never have this exact group in this room at this time on this day with this word in front of us. Once in all of our life, we'll have this opportunity. We want to pray that the Holy Spirit lead us and speak to us and that I disappear in the process. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Father, we do come as your children, uh, grateful, uh, so, so thankful for who you are, that our focus is, is not to be on us in any way, but it's all on you. It says in your word that we are to, to literally lay ourselves as living sacrifices on the altar. May we, may we not just offer an hour of the day. We may we not offer just one day of the week or just one week or one part of our life, but all of our lives. Every part you've blessed us with, Lord, we belong to you and we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us and lead us and guide us, encourage and minister to hearts that need to be encouraged and comforted. Father, I thank you so much for this body and what you're doing in our midst. I, I pray and we together lift up our dear little sister, Avery. But what an example um, of a young woman who is just listening to you. She has no clue what's ahead of her. And yet she is stepping into your will and we rejoice in that. We ask God that you would Bless her and protect her and use her in amazing ways. Pray for her family. This is a stretch for all of them. She, Lord, steps into a region of the world that is so dark spiritually. I pray, Lord, that, that we would make note to pray for her every day. And, Lord, that she would be an example for us, that we would use any resource that we have been given. You're stewards. It's all yours. We would use every minute, every dollar. Lord, every gift and talent you've given, may we just cast it at your feet. The time is short. 
the work is big. We thank you, Lord, that you are an amazing, sovereign God over all. We love you, God. I, I pray for help right now that you would be with my mind and my mouth. May everything that is son, that is said uh, glorify uh, you and exalt the name of your son, Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen and amen. Okay, we are in the last week here. We've been on this journey uh, with Jonah. Uh, If you recall, he was given instruction from God to go to a place he didn't want to go to. Uh, God told Jonah to go, and and Jonah said, no, I don't like it. I'm not going to. And so he ran the opposite direction. He ran far. He ran fast. We heard about this ship, and we heard about this storm, and we heard about this great fish, and we heard about this prayer that he prayed, and and the fact that he was regurgitated out on the beach, and he went to work, and he preached a very simple message, and there was an amazing, amazing response, a revival in a really dark, desperate, wicked city. We know, and we have learned that God is sovereign. He reigns and rules over every part of the plan, his plan, not ours. We talked about the fact that God is what is at work in the hearts and and minds of his own, those that are in relationship with him, just like Jonah, one of his own, just like you and I. But God is also, God in his sovereignty is also at work in the hearts and the minds of those who are in complete rebellion to him. The city of Nineveh, complete rebellion. And yet God is still at work. It was, it was nothing less than a miracle that took place when this rebellious, wicked, dark city, what, repented from their sin. It says that they were trusting in the word of God. They were mourning over their sin. They were crying and praying out loud to God. They turned from their wicked ways, their evil ways. All of it, an act of God and nothing less. As, as God is going to work literally, literally just tearing down and building up new lives, changing a city like it's never been changed before. That's where we pick up our text this morning. Listen very carefully. Listen very carefully to the response of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, we pick up in verse 1. But it displeased. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, oh, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he, he made a booth for himself there and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and he made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. 
When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left and also much cattle? Oh, my. I think it's the Hebrew word whiny butt. Jonah is all over the place. He is all over the place here. He's angry. He's depressed. He's suicidal. And then he's glad again. And then, and then he's angry again. What do we see here? I want to give you three points this morning that, in a sense, draw us into the text. The first one is this. Jonah displays anger and frustration. He displays anger and frustration. Look what it says in verse 1. But it displeased Joan exceedingly, and he was angry. I, I think what we have here, we have just read, we've just heard, you've just heard some, some of the most narrow-minded, saddest, they, there's some of the most bigoted, selfish words in all of scripture. A sovereign God is doing an amazing work in turning people's lives from death to life and someone doesn't like it. Now, I want you to think a little bit with me, this whole picture. Let's go back. Jonah chapter one, Jonah chapter two, Jonah chapter three. We have seen rebellion from Jonah. We've seen him turn and repent. We have seen him re-engage. We have seen an amazing revival. All of Jonah chapter one, Jonah chapter two, Jonah chapter three. I tell you what, it is great storyline. It preaches well. We would call it in preaching circles, it's tight. It is, it is neat. It is a packaged presentation. Why in the world do we have chapter four? Why doesn't it end in the end of chapter three and they all live happily ever after? Why do we have chapter four? Why this response? Why, why this conclusion? Why? Great question. Why? Because this entire book is not about Jonah. Why? Because it's not about the city of Nineveh. The whole book is about God. And the fact that God is sovereign. If you recall, go all the way back to the very beginning, Jonah's reluctance, okay, his disobedience was because of who the people of Nineveh were. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, a wicked city. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah knew that they were a hard people. They were a hateful, hate-filled. They were a violent and a vicious people. And we understand what? That, that they, Jonah's minds believed that they deserved destruction. Jonah actually believed that they deserved to be annihilated for their wrongdoing. He didn't like them. He didn't want to preach to them. He didn't want to warn them. He didn't want to help them in any way. But what happened? Something happened. God went to work, and the people of Nineveh recognized their sin. 
We know that, that the people of Nineveh mourned over their sin. They called out, they repented, and they were completely changed. They were saved. And now, not only what were they saved, but now they had actually become family to Jonah. For all of eternity, they would all be sitting and dining at the same table as family. And Jonah doesn't like it. What's, what's happening here? What, what, what's happening here? Things were going well. Chapter three ends on a high. Message was preached and people listened. People repented. God relented. That's what we hope for. That's what we pray. That's what we work towards as a local church all over the place. Disaster, destruction, devastation, all of it avoided. That's a good thing, right? A revival breaks out. An entire city is saved, is changed. It's all good stuff. And yet somebody's got a problem. Jonah's got a problem. And notice that he doesn't just have a problem with the people of Nineveh. Jonah's got a bigger problem. Jonah's got a problem with God himself. Jonah has a problem with God himself. God chose in his sovereignty to save people that Jonah thought were not worthy of being saved. Apparently, he thought that he was worthy to be saved. Apparently, what? He was a prophet in the nation of Israel. Apparently, he felt that his family was worthy to be saved. And apparently, he thought that his, his fellow countrymen were all worthy to be saved. But these people were not. Do, do you realize this? Before we are too hard on Jonah, you and I display perhaps even unconsciously, we can display that same type of biased view of who is valued and who is not, who is worthy and who is not, who is important and who is not. And it, it kind of like, like seeps out of us. It bleeds out of us. And we can say things and do things without even realizing that we think that we apparently are worthy and someone else is not. We're better than someone else. I was driving a couple summers ago with family, and we were on vacation. We were driving through Idaho. And, and uh, I, I remember, and I've done so much better in recent years, but I, I wasn't paying attention to the speed limit. And we went off the highway. We're in a little town. It's a little tiny town, and there's like one bush, and there's one cop behind that one bush. And I went by, and he called me for speeding. He pulled me over, and, and he said, he said, do, do you know how fast you are going. My, my response was very honestly, I said, sir, I have absolutely no idea how fast I was going. I said, I am in the middle of nowhere. I don't know the speed limit. And he goes, oh, excuse me, apparently where you live must be somewhere. But where I live and where my family lives is the middle of nowhere, correct? We tell you, don't talk your way out of a ticket. That, I think he doubled my ticket. What, what, what is that? It teaches us that we live with an egocentric, everything what begins here and works the way this, okay, is somewhere. Everyone and everything out there, that's nowhere. And we live with that type of understanding. Jonah was doing exactly, exactly the same thing. He prays. We know that this is the second recorded prayer in the book of Jonah. 
But this, this time, this prayer was much, it was much, much different than his first prayer. In my studies I read, I learned this week that Jonah prayed his best prayer in the worst place. And, and in, the, in the worst place, Jonah prayed his best prayer in the worst place and his worst prayer in the best place. It's all going well. And look at his attitude. It's a petulant prayer. You know what that means? It means he's, he's soaking and he's soaking and he's grumpy and he's disgruntled and he's whining. Jonah, the one thing that he does reveal here is that he does know theology. He does understand and recognize the attributes and characteristics of God. And in his prayer, he says, I knew that you were a gracious God. He actually reveals truth here. I knew that you're a God of mercy. I, I knew that you're a God that's slow to anger and you are abounding in love. And, and I knew that you were relent from disaster. And, and Jonah is so despondent. Jonah is so distraught at God's choice to relent and let the people of Nineveh live. He actually says this, take my life. For it's better for me to die than, than live. Do, do you realize how twisted this thinking is? This man is actually suicidal. Okay, because what? Because he didn't get what he wanted. I would rather die than let those people live. What, 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 what is this? Bigotry, biasness at its best. I should say at its worst. How about God's response here? I love God's response. One question. And it's, it's, it's almost like he just brings it all down. Like, like Jonah's just all worked up and God says this, uh, do, do, you, do you do well being angry? How are you doing with this? Just diffuses the whole. The old King James says, doest thou well to be angry? The, the New American Standard says, do you, do you have a good reason here to be angry? The NIV said, is it right for you to be angry? I, I think another one is actually helped by way of clarity. The CEV says, what right do you have to be angry? If I were to um, say, well, what is the, the TJB unauthorized version? How does it translate? I think it would say something like this. God is saying, boy, who, who do you think you are to be angry with me? Sovereign God of the universe. Who do you think you are? Basically what he is saying. Are you you following what's playing out here? As God's attributes and God's character is revolved. I go to 2 Peter in chapter 3. The Lord is patient toward you. Not wishing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. God's design and God's desire is that everyone recognize who he is in his glorious sovereignty. Goes to what one of those verses that we memorized when we were kids in Sunday school, one of those well-known verses in all of scripture and in all of the church. For God so loved the world, he so loved us that he gave to us his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Can I ask you this question? What, what are your thoughts 
when you think about taking the gospel? What are your thoughts when you come to the subject of, of missions to the poor or to the impoverished, kind of drug-infested communities um, or, or the inner-city, urban, uh, 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 disaster areas? Jails, what, what is your view on missions and evangelism to those particular areas? Could I ask you a question? What, what are your thoughts regarding missions to the Muslims or, or radical Hindus that, that want to attack the name of Christ and, and they, they want to kill and rid the world of Christians? What, what, what is your thought to, to, to uh, ministering to people who are atheists or who are agnostics that despise and see that and spit at the very thought and concept of there being a God. But what are your thoughts when it comes to what? Reaching out and showing love and grace to those who are caught in a, in a uh, same-sex relationship attraction or people that are ensnared in a gay or a lesbian or a bi or a trans lifestyle. What, what is your thought and ministry about ministering and giving good news and, 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 and going to them in missions, most respond with, yeah, that's a really good idea. Yeah, we pray for them. We're going to pray for them. And we even support them. Like a, a little plate goes, we, we push a little button and we, we give to this. That's a good thing. And that's a great thing. Praise God for that. But let me ask you this. What about you going to that community. Don't, don't elbow the person next to you. What about you actually going to the poor communities of people that do not know and have not heard the name of Jesus? Where are you in that? In the, um, in the late 80s, we know that in the early 80s, the, the AIDS disease epidemic had kind of like just revealed itself. And, and people were in panic. They didn't know much about this particular disease. It was, it was untreated in many ways. It was untreatable. And people were terrified. Like if you even get close to or near a person, and there was this panic. And, and there were things like Christians, actually Christians and actually churches were saying horrible things. Yeah, well, this is, this is, this is what they deserve because of the lifestyle that they chose to live. They were saying horrid things. Everyone kept what a distance. Because like, this is really, we don't know anything about this. There was a, a friend of ours, Rayetta Dunham, very close friend. She stood up with Wendy at our wedding. And it was in this time, we lived in the inner city, D.C., and, and, and no one else would go. And Rayetta would go, literally, she sought permission, and, and she signed waivers, and she would go into these wards where there were AIDS patients, and she, she would sit on the edge of their bed, and she would hold hands with them, and she would read scripture to them. She would pray with them, and she would weep. It's a death sentence. No one else, no one else. And yet that... Gal, single gal, young woman, went and, and did. But many would say, well, they just deserve, they're just getting as a result of the decisions and the lifestyle they've chose. People, we have to realize that God is at work here and that we at best reveal 
our worst. Just like Jonah, who displays anger and frustration over God's sovereignty. But thankfully, it doesn't end there. It's not left there. Number two, God offers comfort and correction. God offers comfort and correction. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant, and he made it come up or grow up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Well, why not? Jonah is angry. He is angry. And God shows him affection. We know that Jonah is, is sulking. And yet God offers him shade. We, we know that, that Jonah is, is completely frustrated. And yet God shows him favor. What is that? Like, what is that? That's a glimpse of God's grace, God's sovereign grace. In God's sovereign grace, he appointed a plant. It says that he appointed a worm. It says that he appointed pointed a wind. He, he's in complete sovereign charge, reign and rule over everything. God appoints. Why? Because he wants to teach a lesson. That is how much he cares for Jonah in this condition. God wants to teach Jonah a lesson, and I believe that God wants to teach us a lesson this morning. And here it is. Here it is very carefully. God's comfort, okay, gives way to God's correction. And praise God for that. God's comfort gives way to God's correction. Why? Because God is more control concerned about our soul than he is about our circumstances. He says, what, you, you, you pity the plant? Hey, hey, Jonah, feel sorry for the plant, but you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. And God in his sovereignty says, should not I pity Nineveh that Great city? Should, should I not have pity on you? Pity this little plant. You didn't have anything to do with that. Shouldn't I pity Nineveh? Now, there's not a lot of easy or pretty ways to explain what is happening here. Okay? What? Jonah, no doubt, is displeased. Jonah, no doubt, is angry and he is whining. God says this Hey, Jonah, it's not your call, man. Jo- Jonah, yet. Yeah, you, you're not in charge. Basically, that's what's happening. Hey, Jonah, guess what? You're not God. I am. Get over it. And we're left. It's what in, in, in literature, it's a form, it's, we're left with suspense here. It's like left with a, a question mark. Notice that only two books in all of the Bible end with question marks. One is Jonah. The other one is Nahum. Both of them deal with the subject of Nineveh. Isn't that interesting? Yes, Pastor Tim, that's amazingly interesting. We're, we're left. We, we know that God, what, is at work, but we don't know exactly. Did Jonah repent? Did he go back to the city of Nineveh and teach Sunday school until his retirement? We have no idea. I don't know. Did Jonah not repent, refuse, and and curse God and jump off the cliff? 
We have no idea. We have no idea. I, I, I do know this, that there's enough here for you and I to learn a very, very important lesson. And I want to leave with that. I want to end with that. The takeaways to this. Thirdly and finally, you and I need to learn to trust in God's sovereign power and plan. We have got to get this. We've got to trust and rest entirely in God's sovereign purpose and plan. At Big Woods Bible Church, we have set a very clear mission. It has been established for years long before I ever got here. A mission. Love God and love people. It's different than our vision. Our vision, what? Build relationships, lives are transformed through the gospel. But our mission is what? Love God, love people. Where does that come from? It comes directly from scripture. Deuteronomy chapter six. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we know that Jesus emphasizes this, but not only does he what? Repeat what Deuteronomy chapter six has to say. And he, and he says it in Matthew 22, Mark 12, and Luke chapter 10. But what Jesus does, and he has the authority to do this. He takes Deuteronomy chapter six, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he blends it. With Leviticus 19, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And for some reason, it seems a whole lot easier for us to do the former than the latter. It seems easier for us to do the first rather than last. It seems easy for us so-called to love God. We just don't like the people that we're sitting near. We're living near. We live alongside and, and, and there's something that, again, you can't hide that. It, it bleeds out. In 2004, I was asked to candidate at a church, the last church that we were at in, in New Hampshire. And typical weekend, we were brought in, Wendy and I and the kids came in for the weekend and met with the elders, met with the search team. Um, I, I preached two or three, four times, and then... And then there's a full open forum, a Q&A, ask anything that you want. It's like a fun process, really. Anyone can ask anything. Finished the Q&A. I was standing at the back of the church. I had an old guy come up to me. He was a big old guy. He was large. And, and, and he approached me kind of gruffly. He said, I have a question. I didn't want to ask it in front of everyone else. He goes, but what do you think about Drums. In church today, and I knew where this guy was coming. He had his little green polyester suit on. I'm going to shut him down right there. I knew where he was coming from. And I said, sir, with all due respect, any instrument, any instrument can be played and used for the glory of God or it can be used for the glory of man. It's not about the instrument. I said, if there are drums in a church, then it better be, better be used for the glory of God and glory of God alone. Shut him down. And he looked at me and he said, good, because I'm the drummer. <laughs> he, he, he winked at me and walked away. And I was, I was flattened. Think, think of that. How, how quickly I judge. How, how, how easily... I measure how, how wrong is that heart? 
Rolly West was his name. And he taught me so much. And I am so thankful. God used that man to encourage and to chisel, knock off all that ugly, gross, arrogant pride. And we realize that God oftentimes uses other people, but we know that God ultimately, God is the one, is the only one who can change my, who can change our judgmental, bigoted, biased, selfish hearts. You've probably heard recently, I'm on a bit of a Ezekiel kick recently, and I have been in several meetings I have been reading Ezekiel chapter 36 in many different settings. And I just, I just love the repeated use of the phrase that God says, I will do this. Ezekiel 36 says, I, I will sprinkle clean water on you and, and I will make you clean. It's such a relief to me that God's going to do this. And he continues on, I will cleanse you from all your dirt and impurities. And I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove your heart of stone. And I will put a new heart of flesh in you. And I will put my spirit in you. Repeats it again. He says, you'll be my people and I will be your God. And he says, I will save you. He says, I will increase you. And I love God is doing all of these things. And that that text ends in verse 32 with this. God says this, I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake. Wait, 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 Wait a minute. I will cleanse you. I will save you. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your hard, rock hard heart and I'll put a new heart of flesh in you and I will increase you. And God says, I want you to know I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the sovereign Lord. Which means what? He's doing it for the glory of his own name. It's nothing to do with us being recipients of his sovereign grace. You, you understand, what is that? Work here. We trust, we trust that a sovereign Lord can and, and will do what needs to be done in my heart, in our hearts. We live in a community that is in desperate need, desperate need of good news. And we live and breathe a single message called the gospel where every single one of us know that we have been created in God's image with a purpose. And we teach and we tell everyone that what? That mankind chose to, to, to disobey God and rebel and as a result suffer all kinds of just grossness in this world. The reality of sin and death is very real. But we also know that there's good news that what God said, I promised, I promised you that I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you and redeem you. And he kept that promise when he came himself, wrapped himself in the flesh of a man. And he was and is Lord Jesus. And he suffered on the cross and he bore the full weight of his father's wrath on our behalf so we didn't have to to bear that. And he paid the price for our sins that we couldn't pay. He suffered and he died and he was buried. But he didn't stay dead, he rose again. So that all the old of our old past and our sinful, sick, 
unbiased, bigoted hearts and lives are put away with. We walk today in full obedience for all of eternity. We have that. May we hold on to this message that that we get a glimpse here of, of as we close the chapter on Jonah, that we don't just walk away from who God is. We get a clear view of God and his sovereignty, that we can trust him. The world says, oh, you deserve a break today. No, no, you and I deserve eternal wrath today. But because of God's sovereign grace, he allows us, he calls us and allows us to have a tiny little part in the fulfillment of his amazing, And there is nothing, there is nothing that brings more joy, more satisfaction, more contentment, even in the midst of the very real aches and hurts that we live in every single day. May we live with a clear view and understanding of the importance of trusting in the sovereignty of God. Father, we love you and we thank you for your patience with us. We confess how egocentric, I confess how egocentric I am that this is somewhere and everything else out there is nowhere. Lord, how wrong. Father, I pray that we would, we would all change, that we would understand, Lord, that you are the center. You've called us and gifted us in your sovereign grace to have a tiny part of, of, of your amazing plan. And God, we are so thankful for who you are. Encourage us, comfort those that, that mourn. But Lord, correct us where we need to be corrected so that we live faithfully for you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.